85-year-old Yoheved Lifshitz is one of the two Israeli hostages who was freed by Hamas late Monday night. And after being treated at a Tel Aviv hospital, she emerged earlier today with her daughter by her side to tell her story. She told reporters she, quote, went through hell. She says terrorists beat her and carried her away on the side of a motorbike. Upon arriving in Gaza, Lifshitz described being led down a spider's web of underground tunnels. Initially, she said she was with 25 other people before being separated into a smaller group. They slept on mattresses on the floor and ate the same food as their captors. Lifshitz did praise the medical treatment she received while down there, but had harsh words for Israeli intelligence, saying they did not take threats from Hamas seriously enough. Remember, though, this is just one story. Israel says Hamas is holding over 200 people in Gaza. 200-plus stories. 200-plus families. Even after going through this horrible ordeal, those other hostages were front and center in Lifshitz's mind as this dramatic news conference came to an end. Her daughter Sharon summed it up for her mother. And the story is not over till everybody comes back and we can start um, building again something. Today, we have new reporting on the behind the scenes efforts to free a larger group of hostages and what it feels like for those anxiously waiting for word. And I cannot protect my son now. And it's driving me crazy. From CNN, this is Tug of War. I'm David Rind. CNN's Caitlin Collins is the anchor of The Source with Caitlin Collins. Before that, she covered the White House under Biden and Trump. She traveled to Tel Aviv last week to report on President Biden's visit to Israel. I caught up with her back here in New York. We're talking on Tuesday, and just yesterday, Hamas released two more hostages. So where do things stand on the diplomatic front in terms of getting more people out? It's really difficult. And we just published a new report a few moments ago on this, actually, because there are talks happening. They're quite intense, we are told, between not just you know the U.S. and Israel, but Egypt's involved, Qatar's involved, other countries that have their citizens who are being held hostage are involved. Um, but obviously, it really comes down to what Hamas will agree to and what Israel will agree to. Right. And right now, what Israel wants is they don't want this little drip, drip, drip of hostages being released two at a time. Mm. They believe Hamas is trying to use that to their advantage to delay the ground invasion. Hamas, on the other hand, wants fuel. They want a ceasefire, at least for a few hours. Those things uh, are not something that Israel is willing to agree to right now because they think Hamas is using it. So there are serious talks happening right now. I think President Biden was on the phone with Prime Minister Netanyahu last night talking about the hostages, specifically, we're told by sources, they're really trying to to work on this, but serious obstacles are in the way right now. So you're saying the Biden administration wants to orchestrate a move where you can get out a big group at once before any of the major military action begins. Yep. But who knows if that's going to happen. Right. So I know you spoke to some of these anxious families who are still waiting for any word about their family members inside Gaza. What did they tell you? It was crushing. 
we had talked to some of these family members, you know, while we were here in the U.S. as the attack unfolded. Um, but to actually speak to them in person and to see their their pain was really difficult. And they were so willing to talk, which kind of surprised me because obviously they're going through the toughest time they may ever experience. But they wanted to tell their story of their kids, of their loved ones, of their brothers, their sisters, their parents. And so we actually spoke to this one family, uh, Shelly Shemtov and her husband, Malky, and their son, Omer, who's 21 years old, is missing. <laughs> Amazing. And we watched this TikTok that his sister had made of all of his funniest videos that he had ever mm. posted. He's just being goofy, you know, like throwing cheese balls in his mouth, dancing in the car. Being a young person. Being a 21-year-old. How many times have you watched that video? Wow. Oh, my God. I saw it. You know, at the beginning when Dana posted, I saw it, I don't know, maybe a hundred times. And each time I, I'm crying and uh, I get very emotional. Even now when I see it, I get very emotional. And also the songs say, you're going to get out from this. Don't be afraid from the you're going, fear. Yes, you're going to get out from it. They just talked about what a light he was in their life, is in their life. And how difficult this has been and how panicked he was as Hamas was attacking the side of the music festival. The, the basic thing of a mother is to protect. to protect her son. And I cannot protect my son now. And it's driving me crazy. And it's, I'm, I'm talking not only for myself, I'm talking for a lot of families. And their pain is just palpable. I mean, it's it's difficult to speak to them and not think about yourself and their, their situation. And just the fact that they're not eating, they're not sleeping. Mm-hmm. Every day is filled with, you know, just not knowing. Yeah, I was going to ask, what have they been doing in these weeks as they try to raise awareness about their son? So they're wearing T-shirts emblazoned with Omer's face. His friends made the T-shirts, and and they they just said they're, they're not eating, they're not sleeping. His one, one thing that Malky, his dad, said to me that really touched me was he said he never knew how many friends his son had mm. until this happened. That's Omer. Very, very happy guy. Very happy yeah. guy. Funny. Funny. Very we funny. Call him, uh, we call him uh, Sunshine because... Uh, like the sunshine, everybody wants to be next to, him. next to him. You just think about the actual day-to-day living of a family member of yours, your son, your baby, as a hostage. His room at home is a mess, but they're not cleaning it up. They haven't touched it because they want him, they want to do what a parent would, would do, to tell him to come home to clean his room. Hmm. And they can't do that right now. Can't do it. If you could talk to him right now, what would you say to him? Come back, enough, enough. You did enough troubles. Come, come back. What are you, mom? Mm-hmm. That I love him, that I miss him, that I want, I want him back. I'll have more with Caitlin Collins after the break. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to Tug of War and my conversation with CNN's Caitlin Collins. And you went inside one of these kibbutzim, right, that was attacked. What did you see there? I think that was the toughest day we had because... It's a kibbutz. It's a community. It's kind of like a gated community here. If you were in the U.S., they're very agricultural. Some of them grow avocados, raise chickens, um, big, big farming communities, but small. And everyone knows everyone. And the IDF is taking reporters inside some of them to let them bear witness to what happened so they can tell those stories. And we went to kibbutz Kisafim. It is a five-minute drive from Gaza. You can see Gaza from these people's backyards. And obviously the IDF is kind of on edge. I mean, there was an attack at the one where we were 24 hours after we were there. Wow. An IDF soldier was actually killed. Okay, so Kibbutz Kisofin is a relatively small kibbutz founded in uh, the 1950s. It's an agricultural community. But when you go in, the first thing that we saw IDF soldiers milling around on the left, having lunch, actually. And on the right, there were all these pets and people putting them in cars. There are families all over Israel without homes uh, who desperately want their pets back. And we went up and we were talking to them, and they were the stray pets, pets that have been left mm. behind because their families were killed. They've just been there ever since. And they've just been there. And one was this little dog named Jumpy. And she had her tail between her legs. And she was so nervous. And Major Marcus Sheff, who was the IDF reservist, taking us around. And he was telling me that at some of them, they have found these pets because they're going house to house. They had to look for bodies. They had to bring people out. They found this one dog. And he was sitting on the kid's bed. And the kid had been killed by Hamas. Mm. And they had to drag the dog out of the house because he didn't want to leave. Um, he would not be taken away. In the end, he was. Um, but, you know, it, it, it tears at the heart, doesn't it? I mean, it's the people that is at the forefront, but it was just this small window into how these people's lives have been completely destroyed and uprooted. We went to this one house of, we knew a 90-year-old grandmother from Czech had lived there. She had all her plants outside, her little golf cart that she used to get around. She was 90 years old. But if you looked closer, you saw a, a bullet hole in the door. And when you open the door, her blood is still smeared on the entryway because they came in. She was in her bathroom. And they shot her in the head. And it just her phone was sitting there on the ground covered in blood. And she's just this 90-year-old grandmother that they brutally killed. 
And then you go down the street, and it's this tree-lined street, and then you see a house that's completely charred from where Hamas set it on fire. And that was where we found um, the home of Hadar. He's a 24-year-old kid. He was not at home, neither was his sister, but his parents were, and his little brother, Sagi, who's 14, he just was a year after he had his bar mitzvah, was there when Hamas attacked, and we called him. We fa- he let us FaceTime him, and mm. he wanted to see the house, actually. He hadn't seen it at this point. No one had showed it to him. Wow. Hi, Hadar. It's Caitlin. Hey, Caitlin. I'm really sorry. Can I just start off with saying that? Maybe. Thank you. And I thought it maybe it was too difficult for him to see, but he wanted to see it. He was telling us that's where the kitchen was. That was where we kept our, that was our storage room. And this is my dead car behind you, yeah? Yeah. The cars are okay. The cars are okay. Who's who's the poster on the back of your dad's car? That's him. This is my uncle. He's running from the road. Oh. Hi. Hi, uncle. Hi, and we what he told us was that when they came into the house, which Hamas had set on fire. They found his dad's dead body behind the door with his dog, their family dog, guarding the door, essentially, so terrorists could not get in. Hmm. And his mother and his little brother, Sagi, were found in the safe room in the bomb shelter, clutching each other. I can see the mattress. The condition of the room. It's very dark. It looks very melted from the fire, obviously. And they asphyxiated because Hamas had set the house on fire. Hmm. And now he's 24 years old and he's an orphan. And it was just so difficult to talk to him and to hear him process it as he was seeing it in real time. My dad and my mom, my whole world. My dad was 53 and my mom was 50. They never met my, uh, my girlfriend's families. They never had a chance to meet them? Yeah. And he was saying, you know, one thing that, that because we had shown it to him first, he said he loved his kibbutz. His kibbutz was amazing. But he couldn't believe that American press is showing it to him before anyone from the government. He said he was so disappointed in the Israeli government. I just want to tell you I'm so sorry. And I'm sorry that we were the ones to show you this, but... I just really, really want to say thank you. And I really appreciate all your work and all the crew who's there are willing to show me these footages. It's kind of absurd to me that you guys show me this first and not someone from Israel. You know what I mean? Not like the government. I, I can I can only imagine how disappointing that would be. Is that a common theme that you heard when you were there that Israelis were disappointed in the response or the reaction to the attack in general? I think everyone has been including the government itself. I mean, we heard this. I spoke to a senior advisor to Prime Minister Netanyahu who said, yeah, no one can deny that they were caught off guard, that they were surprised, that they lacked the intelligence, that this border fence that they had thought was so incredible and had spent so much money on lacked this actual security. The military had such a delayed response that day. But the overarching message that you hear when you ask, when you start to to peel up the layer of those questions is now is not the time to talk about it. Mm. I, I think there are some people who disagree. Yair Golan, who is a retired IDF deputy chief of staff, 
was this badass in the military. That day, he put on his old uniform, and he drove to where the music festival was, and he saved six kids from that festival, just on his own, with his own sheer will. No one told him to go there. He just knew the area. And he's a former leftist lawmaker, so he has been incredibly critical of Netanyahu before this. But he was saying, you know, now is the time for him to resign because he's the one leading us through this response. Like what this looks like, what going into Gaza looks like, what the aftermath of that looks like. And he said he didn't think that he was up to the job. Well, Caitlin, thank you for bringing these stories to us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Tug of War is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Chris DeBow, Anna Sterla, and me, David Rind. Our senior producer is Haley Thomas, Dan DeZula is our technical director, and Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of CNN Audio. For the very, very latest on this conflict, head over to CNN.com or the CNN app. We'll be back tomorrow with another update. Talk to you then. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.